0: And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. Well, it's a story you've heard a, a thousand times probably, but as we read it, as we hear it sung, as we pray it, it is God's word. and That's why we respond together here at Bethany Church. You might hear it, I think, oh, that sounds kind of formal or kind of it, it wrote, you know, to, to call and respond like that. But why do we do that? We do that because the word of God is for not just the individual, but for his people. And we believe it personally, individually, yes, but we also believe it corporately as a body, and so we say back together, and hopefully really mean it, thank you for your word. Thanks be to God. And so we get to open it today, as we've been doing all along in our series, that we've called Songs of Christmas. Songs of Christmas, where we've been going through from the Gospel of Luke, the first couple chapters, these different songs, and we began, if you remember, a little recap with the angel's song, the first angel's song, where he told Mary that she would be with child. Child. We moved on the next from, to Mary's song where her, when her 14-year-old soul magnified the Lord in humility and blessing, the task of being given to carry the Messiah. Last week, do you remember? It was the old couple, Zachariah and Elizabeth, who couldn't see past their problems to the promises of God. Well, this morning, it's the unexpected song, we're calling it, in the birth of Christ, I grew up playing baseball uh, in these Little League fields in Dana Point, California, and they were right next to a sewage treatment plant. And in fact, I actually lived just like a mile down the road from that as well, and you know, when the wind would come from the ocean, it would carry that wonderful field or wonderful smell right across those fields. And let me tell you, they stunk. It wasn't, it wasn't very common to see a kid running for a fly ball like this, you know, running to get it wasn't that bad, but um, every, every season and every practice or game, here's what happened. After a while, you just kind of got used to it. You didn't notice the strong presence of such a powerful odor. So much so that actually over time, you, you began to never even really notice it at all. Well, what a great picture of what happens with our engagement with Christmas. We become so familiar with this story, we miss the shock, the gravity, the weight, and sometimes even the beauty of what's happening in this story. And we we definitely miss the earthiness and and stink. Remember? Where Where he was born, in a manger with animals. And we've tended to maybe gloss it over with the sentimentality of, Chestnuts roasting on an open fire and Jack Frost nipping at your nose. And there's nothing wrong with the sentimentality of Christmas time, but we want to make sure that it doesn't overshadow and gloss over when everything about the Christmas story is scandalous. Everything and unexpected, from the family to the birth to the Savior to the audience of these lowly shepherds. So this morning, what I want us to do for a moment is pull back the gloss and look at three unexpected surprises this morning to remember, to to, to rediscover the true unexpectedness of Christmas. So grab your outline, hopefully you got it there as a tool for those of you who like to write notes and fill-ins, have your Bible open, whether it's a Bible or smartphone or tablet to Luke 2, and let's look at our first unexpected uh, surprise. The first one is this the unexpected family, and humble birth. Luke sets the stage for us in these opening verses that Jesus was born to an unexpected family. I mean, when you think about for a moment, think about the purpose of Christ's coming, and you think about uh, who he was, God in flesh, and then you hear about his parents and birth. It's nothing short of scandalous. Well, first, what's the first thing we notice in this passage about this family? They were an oppressed family. What do I mean by that? They were an oppressed family. This was a Jewish family living at a time in their own land under Roman oppression and occupation. You heard about Caesar Augustus there. When Roman, this Roman Caesar Augustus ruled, verse 1 says, all the world at that time, basically, or all the known world. And there was a peace that was around, but it was a peace that had been violently achieved. So God's people, this family, are living in a time without glory, without honor. They are a people who are occupied. I was listening to a story this week on the World and Everything in It podcast. It's a Christian news podcast. It was a story about um, the Japanese internment camps of World War II, that there were those who were taken from their homes as Americans, actually, and taken off to camps, and it was a testimony of how devastating and life-altering this injustice was for the Japanese Americans now, the loss of family and community and businesses and honor and self-worth to be taken from your home and sent off to an internment camp in Wyoming to be occupied, so to speak, in your home country. That is what Joseph and Mary lived under, occupied oppression. I mean, you see it in the fact, you take a look at the story, they were forced, weren't they? They were forced by the extension of the, the governmental arm to pick up from their home and travel from their home to Bethlehem, Joseph's hometown, for taxation, I mean, think about the, that. Here's this humble carpenter, his pregnant teenage bride, who's due any day now, and they're forced to travel, probably by foot. Tradition has her on a donkey, but probably by foot for some 80 miles to be taxed. <laughs> Sounds like a great journey, doesn't it? No, it was miserable. It was horrible. And think about this what teenage bride likes the thought of having to give birth? the first time really far from mom and home. Think about that. I mean, our human logic should look at this setting that Luke is setting up for us and think, this is an absolute train wreck. This is going to be the birth of the Messiah, a peasant carpenter and his bride. They were insignificant nobodies from the the off-the-map, nowhere town. This was the chosen family? And yet at this moment in history, they were the most important family on earth. But Mary knew. Mary knew who she was as one of God's people and who God was. Remember her song from a couple weeks ago? Here's a few verses from it coming up on the screen. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he's looked on the humble estate of his servant. He has shown strength with his arm. He's scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Joseph and Mary, they are a picture of God's grace. They are a picture of His grace. Jesus doesn't come to the proud, He doesn't come to the self sufficient, He doesn't come to the mighty. As so often it is with God's kingdom, things are not what they seem, they're not what you expect. You know, Jesus doesn't care about your resume. Look at Mary and Joseph, your accomplishments or your, your reputation. He was absolutely fine taking up residence in and coming from the womb of this insignificant girl. He was absolutely okay with it. Which means, if you are a sufferer today, one who just can't seem to get your act together, Maybe you even call yourself somebody who's got a track record of failures, or defeats, or embarrassments. It means you're the one he wants. You are the one that he wants. You're the perfect life for God's life to take up residence in. Look at Mary and Joseph, this unexpected family. King Jesus doesn't come to the proud, but to the poor and the powerless. I think there's a song that says that. Well, you think, okay, great. So I've got to be, I get it. Okay, maybe God comes to the humble, but that doesn't sound so great. I've got to be humbled to have Jesus come to me? doesn't sound like a great plan. Guess what? Jesus did it too. He's not asking you to do anything that he himself hasn't already done. How do we know that? I, I, I mean, just look at his humble beginnings with his family But let's take a look too at his birth. He was born in a place that no child should ever be born in. And and in circumstances and surroundings that no child should ever be born in. I mean, it's such a simple description that Luke has, but it it packs a punch. It is a humble, wretched scandal, this birth scene. Take a look at it in verse 6. And while they were there, that's in Bethlehem... The time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Here they are. They've just arrived. They're exhausted, walking 80 miles. And what Mary had thought and kept to herself Maybe it was just the fatigue of the journey, giving her stomach and her womb pain. She now begins to share with Joseph, I think it's time. I think it's time. Remember now, she's probably 14 years old at this point. Now, we don't know exactly where Jesus was born. We don't know that. Some say in a cave. Our stable scenes, our manger scenes, they look like kind of wooden little buildings that we have on our tables. But we do know, though, that inns at this time, they were known to be really crude, really crude. Uh, You know, to to make a comparison, Motel 6 would be like staying at the Allison Inn in Newburgh, if you want to make a comparison, to this inn where they were. What they usually were like, and found in excavations and different things, they were were, uh, like a a bunch of stalls made kind of in a, a square where people would stay in, and they were built surrounding, they were around a common enclosure, a courtyard, where the animals stayed. So you'd stay in a little stall, and your animals would probably be in the center. And as there was no room for them in this inn, it's possible that Jesus was born right there in the common courtyard with all these stalls around him, with a bunch of animals tied up around him. I mean, imagine Joseph's grief first before we talk about Mary. I mean, this is his bride. It's their first child. Oh, not here. Here? Now, Lord? I'm sorry, Mary. I'm sure he was grieving as he watches her pain and labor in possibly this common courtyard on the cold, hard ground. The smell of animals mixed with the smell of birth and his fumbling hands as he tried to help her deliver the baby And Mary cries that moment, in the open air of a starry night. This this is Christmas. (laughs) This is Christmas. It's unexpected. The B.D. Willie described it like this. The God of the universe was laid in an animal's feeding trough. There's no glory in that. That was the Savior's lifelong testimony, though. Nothing about this scene says glory. But there are many lessons in it for us many. Here it is. The gospel is humility always before its glory. In God's story, in his kingdom, humility comes before glory. Jesus was a prince born a pauper first. That's what Luke is telling us. He left the the glory of his heavenly home where everything was perfect to be born in a slop trough, a feeding trough. It's the unexpected way of the cross. If you think about Jesus' life as it continues, the wood of the manger would become the wood of a cross, is what we see from start to finish. And he too would ask us to humble ourselves in repentance and faith, needing forgiveness and follow his humble path. Remember, I said he's not asking us to do anything he hasn't already done himself. What other God does this? None. No other God, no other religion has a God that says, follow me in the way of the cross, and I'm going to take it first. No other. He says to us, take up his cross in our life. The beaty went on in his quote to say, and when we see this, do you know what it does? It puts our glory-craving hearts in check. That's what the gospel does. But it also means this. Glory is coming. Christmas story, oh yes, it's humble, but it also means that glory is coming. It's totally unexpected. It's, it's, the, it's the, the, the suffering before the gift. It's the humility before the glory. It's the unexpected humble family and the, the birth that's unexpected. It's our first surprise, but here's our second. The unexpected audience of outcasts in the fields and the unexpected Savior. The unexpected audience. Who are these guys? Some shepherds. You know, when I think of this, when I get to this scene every year in Luke 2, or reading it with family, or we're doing something in church about it, and we get in the fields, and the angels appearing, the shepherds, I can't help but think of just one shepherd. You know who? I got a picture coming up of him. This one. I love the Charlie Brown Christmas special. How many of you love it? Watch it. Maybe a tradition yearly kind of thing. I love the scene, and it's kind of the, the payoff of the whole picture, the whole mo- little movie, where Linus quotes these lines. It's kind of like our kids up here today. It's such a sweet moment, isn't it? Where Linus quotes these lines from Luke 2, and he tells the story of the shepherds out in the fields by night and the, the visitation of another angel. They're busy in Luke Luke 1 and 2, and then a multitude comes. But our popular culture representation of shepherds, it, it kind of gets it wrong. What do we do when people have a baby? A lot of people, they 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 love to send off birth announcements, right? You pick out a nice card stock and a cute card and you take a, a picture of a you beautiful baby on it, and you put it in a nice envelope. It's so sweet, it's so picturesque, and you mail off this birth announcement. Here, the birth announcement is a bunch of stinky shepherds. The message comes to shepherds. And then they become the first evangelists as they go and share the message. Again, it's unexpected. Why? Shepherds at this time, at least, in, in, in the history of God's people... They were considered low class. They were considered untrustworthy. Why would you give a message to somebody that's totally considered untrustworthy? They had horrible reputations. They lived outside the camp as they watched over their flocks. They lived outside the daily temple rituals because they were considered ceremoniously unclean just because of their job. And here's what we see in that. The, The gospel comes to unexpected people. Not to Caesar Augustus. Wouldn't that be your choice? Like, If I want to get this message out and make sure it's got a good uh, platform, go to Caesar. Not in God's kingdom. Not in his economy. He goes out to some shepherds out in a field that nobody's given one thought to. And on that night as they were huddled around that campfire, the sky was filled with the glory of God. And the stars probably disappeared because the light from the angel and angels was brighter in the light of the stars. And he, God visits them. You see? He visits an unexpected family. He visits these humble, mean, low-class shepherds. And the birth of the Son of God is announced this way. With great joy. A message for all people. Did you catch that? Verse 10 says, all people. Not just Americans. Not just Europeans. Not just Westerners, but Africans and Asians and Australians. All people, the angels say, this message is for. So what, here's what we're seeing. God is taking what you might call this great, high theology, complex things we're going to look at just for a minute here in a moment, and he brings it to the lowest of people. God comes to the needy. He comes to the poor in spirit. He comes to those who are quick to see their need. As he does with these shepherds. And who was this baby? They must have thought that. Why were we getting, you know, God comes and, and, and at this time children were also not very much respected in their culture and he comes, great news from the angels. I want to tell you about a baby. What? A baby? Well, this was nothing less than the birth of the son of God though. This is not just any ordinary baby. Look at verse 11 with me. Angels say, for unto you, shepherds, all people, is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Here's what we're meant to see here. This baby, he is not a man trying to become a God, but a God God who became a man. That's what I want us to look at for a minute. We're meant to compare and contrast here in this moment where the baby's announced. This baby with that man we talked about right at the top of the passage, Caesar Augustus. I think Luke wants us to make this contrast. We're meant to look at Caesar Augustus, who was a ruler of all the world at this time. He was the first Caesar, actually, that took on Augustus. You know what that means? Holy. He was the first one. And under his rule, there was a decisive movement that took place with the Caesars from there on out to turn them into gods, to make them become men who would be seen as a god, and towards promoting Caesars from then on as gods. So here we have at the top of our passage this man, Caesar Augustus, who is a man who is trying to become a god, a self-proclaimed god, who would be thought of savior of all the world. The passage says that all the world was under his rule. And Jesus Christ couldn't be more different. He's God who became a man. Here we have Caesar trying to be a God, and here is God saying, No, I'll become a man, and I'll be the true Savior of the world. you probably heard of the, 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 the accolades of the Roman culture, and at this time the kingdom that they had, and, and the term Pax Romana. I think it's a Latin term, but it's fairly simple. It just means the Roman peace. And that term was inaugurated and kind of brought about with this Caesar. and went on from a, a couple hundred years after that that the Roman kingdom brought this peace to the land and everywhere they ruled it was Pax Romana, peace, and life was good. But it was a peace, as we've already said, that was brought with might, with force, and destruction, and oppression, so it was actually no real peace at all. It just wasn't. And here we have a message to the shepherds about a king. Not a man who's going to try to be God. Oh, I'm going to do everything I can to get peace for you. No, but God who becomes man and brings a totally different kind of peace. An absolutely different kind of peace. Peace between God and man, the scripture says. All people. For all people. I mean, imagine how the shepherds felt. The sky was filled with a multitude. I think possibly, maybe it was every angel that God has ever created that weren't fallen. Every angel that God has ever created was there in the sky. I mean, wouldn't you, if the Son of God, who you've known in heaven, was going to become a baby, wouldn't you want to be there if you were one of those angels and watch in the sky? I would. I mean, I think it was possibly every angel he's ever made. And the shepherds are there, and this is what happens. Look, chapter 2, verse 13 on the screen. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude, there they are, of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, there it is, peace with those, among those with whom he's pleased. Now, this isn't just some general piece of Pax Romana. But a specific peace, for those who are willing to see that peace on earth between humans is only possible when peace between God and humanity comes. Peace here will never truly happen unless peace here starts first on this level. And it's with those, Luke says, the angels said, with those who he is pleased. Well, how does that come? What does that mean? It's only for those who he's pleased with? Peace with God comes this way. Let's take a look at it. Savior, Messiah, and Lord. It's in the announcement. It's in their words. How does that peace happen? It's going to be this baby. Savior, Messiah, and Lord. I don't know if you caught it in verse 11, these three terms, but it's the only time in the Gospels this phrase is used. Savior, uh, the word's Christ in the Bible, means Messiah, and Lord. Lord only time it's used this way. And if there's any doubt, not only did God share the gospel with these shepherds, good news of great joy, he also revealed to them Christ's true identity. So here's this high theology. Here's who Christ is. Here's the good news. He's coming. I'm going to share it with you, shepherds, Savior, Messiah, and Lord. This is how peace comes. This is how peace comes. The baby who was in his mother's arms would stretch his arms out to save us. He is Savior. He's the promised one as well, the Christ, the Messiah, the one the Israelites, the Jews were waiting for. And then most unexpectedly, this title of Lord. Is he really? God in flesh? Messiah and Savior? And so this very same question the shepherds had to think about is how do we respond to these angels? What do we do? that you have to ask yourself whether you are not a follower of Jesus today or a follower, is how will you respond to these claims? This unexpected event of history, we're not talking about a fairy tale here. You know, Luke said at the beginning of his gospel, I'm writing this from eyewitnesses, and I want to make it a really orderly account so that you can be absolutely certain that these things happen. Does that sound like somebody writing a fairy tale or a story just for fun? No, he says, I want you to know a certainty. Look back at Luke chapter 1, the beginning today. But how will you respond? I think if we look closely, I think it's here, actually. I think Luke gives it to us in these shepherds and Mary. And I think if we look at the response in this story, we'll be able to grasp, The unexpected nature of Christmas again. So let's close by looking at the unexpected response in our story. It's kind of interesting. In Luke's account of the birth of Christ, he gives twice as much space to the shepherds as he does the birth of the Messiah. Think about that. It's sort of odd. He gives twice as as many verses to their response to the message uh, than he does to just the birth of Jesus. And I think we're meant to see that. And learn about our own response to Christmas in that. So let's see these three. Here's the first one I want to look at. These shepherds go from beholding to believing. From being beholding to believing. In verse 10, it's understandable that the shepherds are terrified. They're terrified in this moment. And the angel says there, as the angel has in all our stories, hasn't he? He has to say, fear not, don't be afraid. And now look how they're responding after they see the baby Jesus and share the message of the gospel. Luke 2.20, you see it on the screen popping up. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Well, what happened? What happened in these men? Men's lives to change them from fearful shepherds to bold evangelists believing, believing and praising God. Well, the keys in our verse is right here. It's right here. They had heard, they had seen, and they had taken to heart what the angel said when he said to them, Fear not, what was his next word? Behold it. Behold it. This good news of great joy. I mean, you probably heard the Christmas story a thousand times. Maybe for you, the most you've heard it is through the Peanuts special uh, yearly. But what Luke is showing us here is that even if you've heard it a thousand times, you have to listen well. You have to hear it well. Last night I was in our kitchen with Robin, my wife, and she was telling me, um, how our oven's on its final legs and, you know, we're probably going to have to, it's probably going to have to be a New Year's purchase. And, and I was hearing her. I knew she was talking about the oven in that moment, but I wasn't listening. <laughs> because I instantly repeated to her, yeah, we're probably going to have to make that a New Year purchase, aren't we? She goes, I just said that. I just told you that. I, 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 she said, you weren't listening. I said, of course, what I say? I was listening. Yeah, I was listening. I was listening, but I wasn't hearing. Or maybe I was hearing, but I wasn't listening. I didn't let it get through. Luke is telling us these shepherds heard what the angels said. They, they, they listened. They heard it. They took it in. Now it's really bad for your marriage not to listen well. But when it comes to the story of God and this earth, to not listen well to that, means destruction, eternal destruction, eternal separation. I mean, it, 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 it's not, it's not, comp, it's not even comparable. You can't even compare the two. They listened well. They heard what was told them. I think Mary is our model here too in responses to the gospel, how we respond. What does it, what does it say? What does she do? Look at verse 19 with me. Says in verse 19, but Mary, as they shared, the shepherds shared with her now, she treasured, or, uh, excuse me, uh, Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. She pondered and treasured the gospel the shepherds shared. To ponder something means to think about it. To think something out, to unpack it, to apply it, to wrestle with it, to unfold it. Have you ever used those um, plastic vacuum seal bags? Maybe you have, in your, in your, they're in your basement or in your garage, so you're storing things, and you, you stuff a bunch of pillows in it, and a bunch of blankets, and you get it like as full as you can, and you stick the tube on it, and you suck the air out, and it becomes something It shrinks down to like a dried prune, you know? <laughs> And then a the time comes and you're like, oh, I've got to find that pillow. we got guests coming for Christmas, right? We've got to go find that pillow. And uh, you look at it, I think it's in there, <laughs> in this, this squished thing. And what do you do? You take the cap off, and it kind of pops up and opens out. You're like, Oh, there it is, as it unpacks and unfolds and expands to something much bigger than it first was. That's what you and I have to do as we ponder the, the birth of Christ, to ponder it. To unpack it, to spend time with it, to unfold it and ponder it as Mary did. In your life, in your day-to-day, I would even say. In your moment-by-moment. She pondered it. And as she unpacked it and began to understand, she treasured it. It also says, she pondered and she treasured it. To treasure something, it means to, to savor it. To hold on to it like you do with a good piece of chocolate fudge at Christmas, don't you? You just gobble it down. Maybe you do. But a lot of us, you'll you'll savor it. You make it last. You relish it. You, You take a bite. You suck on it. You keep it going. If you haven't pondered and treasured the Christmas message in your life, I am not sure that you can say you know Jesus. Because you see the response in these people's lives that became truly impacted. How should the message of the Son of God born on earth change my my thoughts, my attitudes, my emotions, my loves, my longings? To ponder and treasure means to ask yourself if I believe this in the deepest part of who I am, how would I be different? How would I be transformed? How would I respond or be changed? Do you do that? You do that in your life. Well, it changed these shepherds. As they behold, what do they do? They become believers. And they're running out, sharing and leaping and jumping and praising and risking by going even into the community as these outcast shepherds. But it also changed them not just from beholders to believers, it changed them from fear to peace. You notice we said they're terrified of the angels. They're terrified. But this is the pattern of the Bible. This is the pattern of the Bible. When people come into the presence of God, they are afraid. They're afraid. Think back to our Genesis Foundation series. We've referenced it a couple times this Christmas series. But do you remember when God comes looking for Adam and Eve, looking for them with his presence? How does Adam respond? Here's the verse again. I heard you. This is after they've sinned. And I heard you, the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and hid myself. There is always a fear when people get close to God, or even hear His angels that come from His presence. Why? He is holy. We are not. He is perfectly righteous. We are not. Adam says it there. I knew there was something off about me as soon as you came into my presence. Now the angels say to them, fear not. And here's why. I I'm bringing you some good news now. I'm bringing you good news of great joy. A Savior is coming to make peace between God and man. Don't be afraid. In other words, Jesus is coming to deal with the things that make you feel uneasy in church today. If you're here, why am I here today? He's come to deal with the thing that makes you feel uneasy when criticism comes. The thing in your life that makes you feel shame, as if you know things just aren't quite right in my life. And what is that? It's your sin. It's those parts of you that are not right. They are not okay. And when you come into the presence of God, it's like being uh, having a light shine upon you, like that big spotlight is on up there on me. And you start to see the things, the warts and, and everything about you when it becomes exposed. But he makes peace, the angels say. Between God and humanity by dying for us. And if you really believe that, if you really believe you can have peace with God, and that you do, and because of that peace, what was once fear, becomes an all loving, all accepting through Jesus Christ relationship with your Maker, would you fear rejection? Would you fear failure? I mean, you wouldn't really care about what other people think, necessarily. You've got this relationship with God. Would you fear the unknown future? No, you wouldn't. You have peace with God. He says, fear not, peace with God. I'm guessing you have never noticed it before. But did you ever notice? The moment Linus begins to recite these lines... He drops his security blanket. Did you ever catch that? When the gospel comes to you and you take it deep inside and you treasure it and you ponder it, and the Savior Jesus, to the degree that you really see it and hear it and behold it and treasure it and believe it, your fears are dropped. They're dropped. Because you have peace with God. that's the angel said it, fear not. Peace is available. I mean, if you don't believe that today and you're here, you don't believe that today, you should want it to be true even if you don't believe it. I and mean, it's the greatest message this world has ever heard. Good news for all people. Remember the, the angel said? And if you have it, here's what happens. Not only does fear go away, not only does beholding become belief, the hearers of it become peacemakers themselves. The shepherds go from hearers of peace to speakers of peace. They hear it. They believe it. Their fear is gone. They take it to to the town as they go to see the proof. Let's find this baby then. The angel said there's a sign. Let's go find him. Peace in the Bible is so much richer than our cultural peace, you know? Peace that came out of the 60s. It's so much richer and deeper than that idea. It's not just some bland idea of no more troubles in life or Kuna matata, you know, <laughs> it means no worries in life. I got peace, you know. No, it's so much richer than that in the Bible. It means no more war, no more strife, no more enmity is the biblical word, no more destruction. It also means the opposite of that, perfect security and wholeness. So it's not just the absence of that. It's also the positive of, oh, I feel whole. I feel secure. I feel like I know I'm meant to feel, but I can't quite get there. It's totally different and richer. I mean, don't you see that? The most important peace you could have would be with the peace with the one who made you. I mean, there's nothing more important than life. But we don't trust that. We struggle with that. Because it comes through humility. It comes through repentance. It comes through faith. And the human heart is bent on being the captain of our own life. We struggle with this even as followers of Jesus. To be the king on my own little island, where I might let you on. I might not. The king of our own little island. We don't take God at his word. And when we live that way, do you know what happens? If you don't have peace here, you know what's really hard to have here on this level? Peace. Conflict. Strife, isolation, broken relationships. But when you have the security of gospel peace with God, you know what happens? It leads to peace with others. It leads peace on this level, the horizontal, right? No, which one's which? I forget. Vertical, horizontal, yeah. When you have it this way, how about that? It goes that way. Do you see that? Why? If you've got this kind of peace, you can admit your flaws here. You can admit your flaws to others when you're forgiven by the true God. And arguments and strife come you know what? When you've got peace here, you can afford to be wrong on this level. It's okay. You don't have to be right all the time when your ultimate true verdict lies with your maker. It's what he says about you that matters. And you can also move out into life with humility and service because you know your conflict with God was ended by grace alone through faith alone in this baby that was born in a manger who died for you. You can move out in humility and service. And you can give up the control of your life that causes most of our strife in our life, doesn't it? The control we really want to think we have over our life that really we don't have at all. It's sort of a a mirage and illusion. And the sooner we can realize that and realize that he's the ultimate one in control, guess what happens? You get peace. You get peace. Christmas means peace with God through Jesus. And then because of that, becoming a peacemaker with others because of that peace. Do you see that? How the only true hope of the world and for world peace is the gospel doesn't mean we shouldn't try it on other levels, but do you realize that? That's what happens all the time. The world wants peace so bad, and we try, and we fret, and we grab for it, but it's all here on this level, never thinking past our ceiling. But when you have peace here, that's the only way that true peace becomes possible here. It's sort of an interesting, kind of humorous ending in the shepherd's language, and look at verse 15. When they hear the message, and the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. It's kind of humorous. They have this incredible interaction with these angels, the of Christ's birth, Messiah, Christ's Lord, and the shepherds say, let's check this thing out. <laughs> let's go check this out. But once they saw the thing was this baby, God in the flesh, you see it here. Their world was never the same. And our world has never been the same. The unexpected has happened, and that is the story of Christmas. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we want, we want, let us crave the Christmas story to impact us in unexpected ways this year. Pull back the gloss for us a bit to see the scandal and the humility And just the humble beginnings of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And may we realize that that's the gospel way. Glory only comes to those who humble themselves first, as it even did with our Savior. Why would it be different with us? And so I ask you, give us the faith. Give us the joy. Give us the lack of fear that the shepherds had this Christmas season. With whatever we're going to face, things of 2020 we don't even know that are coming, Lord, but you do. Let us place ourselves in perfect peace in the hands of the baby who became the man who died and rose for us. It's in Christ's name we pray.